Lord, what a beautiful, glorious psalm you've laid before us this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we engage your word during this time and seek to hear you speak to us individually and as a church, we pray that you would give us open minds, open ears, and open hearts to receive your word precisely the way that you intended it to. Lord, this is a psalm that exudes and praises and glorifies your goodness. We ask, Father, that you would make these incredible truths about yourself manifest and clear during this time. Cause us to see you as you are. Cause us to truly know you better. To remember all of your indescribable benefits towards us. And Lord, may our hearts respond with the only right response of praise. Praise from the very deepest part of our hearts, Lord. We ask that you would cause that to be our response. And by the power of your Spirit, you would help me to communicate these truths effectively. No doubt, Lord, this sermon will be an inadequate exposition of your amazing passage. And yet we ask, Lord, that you would be pleased by the power of your Spirit to take these truths, make them the most clear possible, and impress, us, impress them on our hearts so we can respond with the same kind of whole-souled praise that David responds to these truths here. We're completely dependent on your grace and on the power of your spirit during this time to accomplish this. And so we depend on you and ask you to be glorified and reflected in all of the words that are said, and that you would be glorified and reflected in it causing, and causing them to have the right impact on us and to change our lives in all of the ways that it should. Uh, we pray this for your own name's sake and by the power of your spirit. Amen. Good morning. If you don't have a Bible and would like one, please raise your hand. We have Bibles in the back and would be happy to give you one as a gift. If you do have a Bible or a smartphone, please open up your Bible to Psalm 103. <clears throat> for those of you that are visiting, my name is Kirk. I'm not one of the pastors here, but from time to time I get the privilege of preaching from this pulpit. And I've noticed that when I preach, I have a tendency to start off the messages talking about what a great privilege and honor it is to preach. And the reason why is because as a Christian, it's such an incredible delight to get to proclaim the goodness and the glory of God, to get to proclaim it to, to many people, to his church sitting here like you guys are today. And to tell you the truth, with this message, that's really all that I intend to do. All I'm going to do this morning is show you Psalm 103, and proclaim and exclaim in as clear and as effective manner as possible all of the incredible, glorious truths God reveals about himself here. If you're looking at Psalm 103, uh, you'll notice that this is a psalm of David. It's a psalm that I had read on my own in my own devotional time a few weeks back, actually, and it impacted me very deeply. And if you've read through this psalm before, every single line of this poem is packed with beauty and magnificence of the glory of God. It magnifies and extols his goodness. And it's been such a blessing to meditate on this passage. I attempted to commit most of it to memory when I had first read it to really try and internalize these verses. And so when my dad offered for me to preach this week, this was a pretty easy passage to pick. Now, if you've been with us the past few weeks, we've actually been working through the book of Exodus. And so obviously, this is not from Exodus. 
And when my dad offered for me to preach, he said I could pick a passage outside the book if I wanted to, which is kind of his way of, of saving the plagues for himself. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that in a couple of weeks after the Easter service, obviously. Um, and so naturally, I, I gravitated here. But it's not a passage that's too far removed from our study in Exodus, and I'll tell you why. If you look at verse 7, you'll notice something that David says, which is very relevant for us in our current study. He says in verse 7, quote, He, Yahweh, made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. Now, as you heard this psalm read by Bill a few minutes ago, you probably noticed that it summarizes the glorious and gracious nature of God's relationship with his people. And it's that incredible, gracious relationship that we see, that we see play out through the entire narrative, both of Moses' life and the people of Israel in Exodus, and then the people of Israel throughout the rest of the Old Testament. And it's that exact same kind of gracious, amazing relationship that God had, had with his people then that he has with us today. And so this Psalm of David, in many ways, is a poetic reflection on the goodness and graciousness of God's relationship with his people. It steps back from the Exodus story, and it surveys his incredible relationship with us. What is the purpose of this? Pretty clear from the psalm itself. The purpose of going back and reflecting on God's gracious relationship with his people throughout history up until that point is to invoke praise from us. Now, David in the psalm, he's doing this to invoke praise from himself, but it should have the exact same response for us today. And as we remember and we reflect on these truths, we should be looking for it to invoke praise within our own hearts. It should be our response to this psalm. It should be our response to the book of Exodus. and should be our response as we see God's relationship with his people play out throughout the course of history. The main point of the sermon is very simple. It's this, that God is so worthy of praise because he is so good to us. God is so worthy of praise because he is so good to us. Now, if you've heard that, perhaps you're thinking, well, God's goodness to us probably shouldn't be the main reason that we praise him. And you might be right about that. I mean, the main reason we should really praise God is because he is the very definition of goodness and of beauty and of what is worthy of praise. But a big part of why we praise him as his people is because of all the incredible benefits and goodness that he has poured out upon us. It cannot be ignored, and it is really what drives David here in this particular psalm to praise him. It's not selfish to praise God for all of the incredible benefits he's poured out on us. And so the objective in preaching this to you is to invoke this same kind of whole-souled praise that David has. That's my prayer. I pray that 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 will be the result for you in seeing all these things, that you too might command your soul and all that is within you to praise the Lord and to bless his name. Hopefully you've prepared your heart for these truths, and as I go through these now, I want them to sink in and really focus on, on letting that be the natural response of your heart. We'll accomplish this by looking at two things. First, God's benefits to you, his benefits to you, and second, your response to him. So very simple. First, his benefits to you. Second, your response to him. Let's look first at his benefits to you. Verses one through two, David writes, Bless Yahweh. O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, to be honest with you, when I, when I first read that verse a few weeks back, there was something jarring 
about verse 2. David commanding himself not to forget all of God's benefits. For some reason, there's something about that language that, that can almost sound, almost sound offensive. That we're talking about God as, as something that we benefit from. Almost like he's, he's an object for our own good or an object for our own purposes. You can imagine how you know, it might sound if I had asked you, well, of what benefit is your parent to you? Or of what benefit is your spouse or your friend to you? It kind of sounds disgraceful. And the reason why is not because they're not a benefit to you. It's because in our minds that sounds like such a massive understatement compared to what they are to us, and it is. If someone were to ask me, of what benefit is Sarah to you, I wouldn't even know where to begin with a question like that. And yet the question that I'm going to ask you this morning is, of what benefit is God to you? Of what benefit is God to you? What do you say to that? Well, the word here, benefit, literally means his dealings or his acts with people. And those dealings are what are detailed here in this psalm. We see several of them. And it's, those de- and it's those dealings, those interactions with man that are indescribable benefits to us and thus so worthy of our praise and adoration. Now, most of you have been in church many years. You've read the Bible. Some of you, if you're saved, you've known God for some time. And so surely you're aware of his benefits and his goodness. None of this will likely be stuff that you haven't heard before. But the real question is, is if you know all of these things, why is your soul not rejoicing all the time? If you know all the things that David says here to be true, how come, this isn't a, a, how come your life isn't a life of total, absolute worship? One very simple answer is, is because we forget, right? And that's why David commands himself here in verse 2. He says, forget not all his benefits. Why does he command himself this? The same reason we should command it to ourselves, because we suffer in some ways, from a kind of spiritual amnesia. We forget the greatness and the glory of God and the innumerable benefits that he's lavished upon us. Perhaps it's because we get easily distracted with our lives and with our jobs and with relationships and hobbies, with struggles and with things that are enjoyable as well. And of course, we have our sinful flesh to battle with that wants us to think about pretty much anything else other than God and his greatness. And so David calls himself, he commands his soul here to remember God's benefits. And as he does that, let me remind you this morning of his benefits by the power of his Holy Spirit. There are several here, I will hit them, but the point is not for you to remember each of these individual benefits necessarily, that would be nice too. But the real point is so that the cumulative effect of all of these incredible benefits of God results in praise from your soul. All these together should result in nothing but the greatest praise. So here are God's benefits to you. Let's work through them. Hear them and praise him in response. Number one, he forgives you completely of all your sin. Look at verse three. Who forgives all your iniquity. Verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Notice in verse 3, it says, quote, all your sins, all your iniquities, every single individual one that you have ever committed, God forgives you of completely. Now I can tell you just for myself, I have committed sins without number. 
just within this past week, the number of individual sins is likely beyond the thousands, possibly into the hundreds of thousands. What David is saying here is that every single lustful thought you have ever had is completely forgiven. Every single word that you have ever uttered that is not true, forgiven. Every covetous thought, forgiven. Every time you disobeyed your parents or God, forgiven. Every time you worshipped an idol or something uh, higher than God, completely, totally forgiven. Every time you didn't love your neighbor as yourself, but instead hated him, harbored anger against them, forgiven. Every time you were frustrated or quick to speak and, and, and rather than being slow to listen, completely forgiven. All of your laziness, all of your, all of your sinful thoughts, every desire that was not completely and only motivated by your um, desire to glorify God, everything completely, totally forgiven. What incredible relief that is for our souls to hear. I think Augustine put it well. He said, quote, God's benefits will not be before our eyes unless our sins are also before our eyes. Do this for me. I want you to take a second to think of the worst sin in your eyes that you have ever committed. I think most of us probably have one thing, likely more than one thing, that when we think on in our lives, we are deeply ashamed of and wish with all of our hearts that we could take back and regret. Take that one sin for you, and I want you to imagine it as a load on your back like in Pilgrim's Progress, and see Christ coming to you and taking that load off your shoulders, putting it upon himself, and then running as far as possible with that load in the opposite direction, as far as the east is from the west. How far is the east from the west? 10 miles? 50 miles? 100 miles? A million miles? It's an infinite distance. You cannot get further than the east is from the west. And so what God is saying here is that he has taken that most shameful, horrible, disgraceful thing that you have ever done and he's removing it from you as far as possible. He's created the largest, most infinite gap between you and your sin. It's gone now. You can't see it. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. You're not affected by it anymore. It's as if it never happened in God's eyes. It is so far removed from you. What incredible joy. What a horrible load to carry. When we see what an awful load it is to carry our sin, we start to realize what an incredible blessing it is for God to have removed it from us and to have taken it far away. Verse 10, quote, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. What would it look like for God to repay us for our sins? What is it that we really deserve before him? The scriptures make an awful picture clear for us. Though what we deserve is separation from God for all of eternity. We deserve to be cast out of his kingdom. We deserve eternal conscious torment, burning in fire, crying out where the smoke always continues to rise and the fire never stops with the weeping and gnashing of teeth in total darkness. That is the just desert for our sin. And yet God says here that he will not deal with us according to our sins and he will not repay us according to our iniquities. That is what we deserve. We deserve an eternity in hell, but God doesn't give that to us. 
How is that possible? If that's what you deserve and God's a just God, how could you possibly not get that eternity in hell? It's because God, in his incredible grace and mercy, was willing to take that punishment himself. He was willing to become a man and say, I will die in Kirk's place. I will die in Brandon's place. That eternal punishment that he deserves, I will take upon myself. Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he, speaking of the Messiah, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Jesus himself did not deserve to be punished. But he took the punishment that you deserved so that God wouldn't have to deal with you according to your sin. He does not deal with you according to your sin because he dealt with Jesus according to your sin instead. He does not repay you for your iniquities because he repaid Christ for your iniquities instead. Jesus takes your place. God takes your place. And instead of punishing you, he deals with you according to Jesus' righteousness and repays you with the eternal life that Jesus deserves according to Jesus' perfect obedience. You receive that reward. Praise his name. That is the first and greatest benefit, forgiveness from God and salvation through Christ. It is proper that that is the first benefit listed here by the psalmist because it's from this benefit, this forgiveness and restored relationship with God that all of these other benefits flow and are made possible. Perfect relationship restored with him. When you sin, go to him. Confess your sins because he forgives you. It is always forgiven. It is forgiven before you've done it through Christ. God is so worthy of praise because he is so good to us. Benefit two, he heals all your diseases. Verse three, I'll read again the first part. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Now, in Scripture, there's a pretty close connection between sickness and sin. In many ways, sickness is uh, depicted as the judgment on sin or the result of sin. And so the removal of sin naturally brings about the removal of judgment. In fact, the removal of judgment is in many ways proof that the sin has really been, been removed, and that's certainly true. But in a simple, in a simpler, or perhaps even in a more obvious sense, God truly does heal all of our sicknesses. Think of the last time you were sick. Maybe it was a cold, maybe it was a, maybe it was a stomach flu, maybe it was a fever. Eventually, at some point, you got better rather than getting worse. Now, what we know from the nature of this fallen world and from our sin, we deserve to have nothing happen to us but to get continually worse and worse and worse and eventually die. And what we really deserve is an eternal punishment in, in, uh, in form of that. But that's not what happens to us. Instead, we get better. We recover from our colds. We recover uh, from our fevers. And the reason why, as the psalmist says here, is because God heals you. It is God who heals you. You cut yourself on the arm and it bleeds, but eventually it scabs over and it heals. That's God's work. You didn't get worse, which is what should happen. But instead, by God's grace, you get better. Maybe you use medicine. Maybe use doctors. doesn't make a difference. It's still by those means that God in his grace heals you and makes you well. And just as you, I asked you to think of your greatest sin a few minutes ago. I want you to take a second and think of the worst physical suffering that you have ever had in your life or the worst disease that you have ever battled with. 
If by God's grace you are covered from that, know that he is the one that you should praise and thank because he was the one who healed you. And how glad were you when that conflict and that struggle finally ended. He's the one that all of that praise and thankfulness should be directed towards because he healed you. Now what if you don't get better? What if you're diagnosed with a cancer that can't be cured? What if it's something that eventually takes your life? And at some point, we will all very likely face something like that. It is still true that he, as the psalmist says, heals all your diseases. That too, along with every ailment and along with every single point of suffering in your life, physical, some of you have many physical sufferings, mental, emotional, relational, etc., they will all be restored 1 Corinthians 15, verse 53. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and his mortal body, and this mortal body must put on immortality. God promises you that this body that is perishable and suffers and is subject to bane will at some point be replaced with a body that can enjoy the new heavens and the new earth for all of eternity. You will be given new bodies, a perfect heart, perfect mind. Don't you hate when, when we grow old and your mind starts to turn, you start to forget things? That will, that will be reversed at some point. God will heal all of your diseases, all of your relationships in a perfectly restored earth. All of us will be perfectly healed one day. Praise him. God is so worthy of praise because he is so good to us. Benefit three, verse four, who redeems your life from the pit. In scripture, the pit is a metaphor for destruction. It's a metaphor for the grave. Destruction in this life, perhaps reckless living, leading to horrible consequences here. Destruction as in an earthly, uh, earthly grave, physical death. And even destruction eternally, talking about Sheol or eternal death. God saves your life from all of those things. Saves your life from the consequences of your sin here. Saves your life from the grave because he will raise you from the dead one day and saves you most of all from the eternal pit through Christ. Now the word redeem here in this verse, it includes two things. It includes one, rescuing you from the bad condition that you were found in, which is what we see here, God saving your life. And it refers secondly to restoring you to a good or glorious condition, which is what we see in the next benefit, benefit four. Benefit four, he gives you everything you could want. This is so amazing. Continuing verse four and going on to verse five, we read, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is so amazing. As if salvation is not enough, as if saving your life from the pit and destruction is not enough for you, then this God gives you everything you could possibly want. And what magnificent language that's used here. It's a metaphor of crowning someone with a wreath as if after a triumphant victory or a festive occasion. God crowns you and he crowns you with the one thing, the only thing that you could possibly want most, his steadfast love and his mercy. What more could you want? God God crowns your head with his steadfast love and his mercy. Well, if you do want more, he still gives it to you. For he says, quote, he satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I want you to think about this for a second. In Christ, 
God gives you everything good you could possibly desire. Do you really believe that? That everything good you could desire in this life, friendship, security, love, faithfulness, joy, life, peace, wealth, everything given to you in Christ, already have it in Him. There is nothing good, in fact, that your heart could desire that you do not have in Christ. Now, eagles, apparently, it was believed that eagles lived to be very old, and their old age appeared to be very strong and vigorous, unlike what often happens for us. Now, all birds, eagles included, go through phases where they will shed their feathers and eventually grow new feathers. And so it seems like they can grow young again, all of the feathers which they have, which, which were making them look old, they cast off, and now they have new feathers and look young again. That is such an incredible metaphor for the believer. Everything good is given to you, as it says here, so that you can have a lively and strong life, so that in Christ you can cast off your old feathers and you can be new and young again. That's what he promises here. We praise him. God is so worthy of praise because he is so good to us. Benefit five, he executes justice for all the oppressed. Look at verse six. Yahweh works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Don't you hate injustice? You hate it in your own life when people are unjust with you. You hate it when you look out on the world and see injustice reigning in the courts with the unborn, in the headlines, around the world. It breaks my heart to see the oppression in areas like Syria where the regime is pressing down on the people living there in the civil war and conflict that's currently taking place and the images of families and of children being mercilessly slaughtered in horrible ways are so tragic and God hates it just as much. Take that back. God hates it infinitely more than you could possibly despise injustice in this world. And the glorious thing is that he will do something about it. What a blessing it is to know that there will be a day when justice will be done. And as we long for grace in this world, we also long for the end of all oppression and all evil. Israel was oppressed under the Egyptians in slavery and in bondage, and God set them free. And the Exodus story is very much a picture of God setting you free from the oppression of your wicked slave master of sin. He sets you free. He brings you out. He saves your life. This is what God does. He liberates the oppressed, and he exercises justice against all evil. God is so worthy of praise because he is so good to us. Benefit six, he is merciful and gracious. Verse eight, quote, Yahweh is merciful and gracious. This should be obvious from your actions. We hardly need David to tell that us here explicitly. And yet what an indispensable benefit this fact of God is to you. In fact, all these benefits you receive from God are simply on the basis of his mercy and grace. I promise you they are not based on your works. I don't even need to quote a verse to you for this, but I will. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. What a joy that is. Gosh, how horrible it would be 
if all these benefits were based on your works, if they were based on your obedience or your righteousness or your effort, there would be no benefits. You lose them all in a matter of milliseconds. But since it's on grace, since all of God's benefits and glorious dealings with us are based on the fact that he is gracious and he is merciful, you can't lose these things. And what a fool we are when we think even for a second something otherwise, that somehow we can fall out of favor with God because of our sin, as if it was ever dependent on our works to begin with. Everything good in this life, earthly and eternal, the promise of heaven and all of the joys we enjoy now, whether it be families or jobs or entertainment, all of these things come from God's gracious hand to us. And he does these things because that's the way that God is. This is the way he is. He does these things because he is merciful and he is gracious. That's why he does merciful and gracious things. And that's where all these benefits flow from. It's because it most glorifies him and most reflects his gracious and merciful character. We praise him. God is so worthy of praise because he is so good to us. Seventh benefit. There's a lot of benefits here. He is slow to anger with you. Yet another flow of his grace and mercy Continue reading in verse 8 and on in 9. He is slow to anger. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. God is so not like us. We are not slow to anger. We struggle so much with other people. We are so quick to frustration. And we hold grudges for so long. Praise God that he is not like that with you. How great is God's forbearance and long-suffering with his people. We need his patience literally every minute of every day because we are constantly in our flesh in a state of sin before him. And what a blessing that his anger towards us will not be forever. That his anger towards us, even though justified, will in no way impact you eternally because it was poured out completely on our Savior instead You know the word chide here? I don't really like that the ESV uses it because it's not really a word that we use much, but the original word means to strive or contend in a legal case in this this context. And so metaphorically here, it's saying that God will not always pursue us in court. He will not press his charges against you because Jesus paid the penalty in our place. You are completely free from God's wrath and anger. And when you sin, know that he is very slow frustration with you. God is so worthy of praise because he is so good to us. Benefit eight, he loves you so much. He loves you so much. Continuing in verse eight, and abounding in steadfast love. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. How high are the heavens above the earth? It's like we're talking about measuring the east and the west again. It's an infinite distance. So amazing if you were, um, maybe you saw in the news this week, for the, one of the first times a black hole was actually uh, captured on camera. Now that in and of itself is an incredible thing to think about, that our God is in control of these massive, massive, I'll, I won't even go into that right now, but do you know how far away this black hole was that they took a picture of? 55 million light years was the estimate. 
that if light were to start traveling now, and light moves very fast, if light were to start traveling now, it would take 55 million years to get to that point. That's not as high as the heavens are above the earth. But that is an estimate for how high one object is above the earth. And God's love is not only 55 million light years high, but it is infinitely beyond that for you. You can't even get close to the love of God that he has for you. And yet it seems like you can't get higher than the heavens, and yet God's love is beyond that. Yet again, another immeasurable length employed by David here, expressing the height of God's love, the infinite height of God's love, in the infinite distance between you and your sin. And they are absolutely connected. It's the reason God has removed your sin so far from you. We read in Lamentations 3.22 from the NIV, quote, Because of Yahweh's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. How infinite is God's love for you? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. His love for you is so high and so deep that he was literally willing to give everything for you. He sacrificed his only son who he cherished for you to save you. There's no greater sacrifice. There's no greater love. There's nothing more you could want or possibly dream of in this life than to have a savior who's, willing, who's, who's literally willing to sacrifice everything in his love for you. God is so worthy of praise because he is so good to us. Ninth benefit, he has compassion on you. Verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so Yahweh shows compassion to those who fear him. I love the word here, compassion. You know, in Hebrew, it actually comes from the same word that the word womb comes from. It's talking here about the great tender mercy, the tender love and sympathetic pity of God that he has on his children. This is a mind-boggling thought that God is actually concerned for you. That God, the creator of the universe, of all that is seen and unseen, who is sovereign over the movement of every single molecule right now, is concerned for you, a worthless, wicked, rebellious worm who crawls about on the earth and whose existence is limited to about a few days. God is actually concerned for you. And not just concerned for you, he likens his care for you as a father to his child. Now, parents, think about the, the compassion that you have on your child. And if you don't have children, about the compassion that you have on those children who are close in your life, maybe your nieces or your nephews or your friends, the compassion that you have on them when you see them suffering or struggling is one that leads you to want nothing but the best for them. You want only to care for them you want to do whatever you can to remedy their need because you desire their well-being and you're swift to run in and to save them. Now you guys, if you are saved, you are actually God's children. He has adopted you into his family and so the same kind of compassion that you as a parent have on your child is the same kind of compassion that God has on us but again, infinitely greater the parable of the prodigal son is such a great illustration of this. You know the story well, right? The son goes to his father. He asks for his inheritance, which is essentially a way of wanting the father dead. 
the father gives him his inheritance and he goes off and he squanders the wealth. And then he realizes what a terrible thing he's done for himself and how this is such a horrible lifestyle to live. And so he's repentant and he goes back to his father, hoping to come back in as a slave or a servant in his father's household. We read from Luke 15, verse 20. When the father sees him, it says, quote, So he, the son, got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. When you sin, when you suffer, when you struggle, go to God. Because he is as his father who is filled with compassion for you. And he is ready to save. He is always there for you as your heavenly father. Filled with this incredible, tender mercy, sympathetic pity for his children. Praise him. God is so worthy of praise because he is so good to us. Benefit 10, he understands you. Verse 14, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Perhaps sometimes, do you ever feel like no one understands your struggles? That's a wrong feeling to have as a Christian because God does. And that's part of the reason he has such compassion on you. It says, quote, for he knows our frame. That's referring to the previous verse where it talks about God having compassion on his children, compassion to those who fear him. Why in verse 14? Because he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your frailty. He knows your inner turmoil. And yet he loves you through it all. Who knows you best in this life? Is it maybe your spouse or a close friend? Maybe a sibling? Possibly a child even? God knows you better than those people. God knows you better than all of them combined. And what a blessing it is to not only be understood, to not only have a friend who knows you better than everyone else, better than you even know yourself, but to have God as that friend, to have God as the one who understands you perfectly. He made you. And not only does he understand you better than everyone else, but he loves you more deeply than you could possibly begin to imagine. And he is sensitive with you. And he knows that if he were to remove his hand, even for a minute, that you would surely perish. God is so worthy of praise because he is so good to us. Two more benefits for you. Number 11, his greatness is forever. And we see this because his greatness is contrasted to the shortness of your life. Verses 15 through 17, quote, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. The image here is so great of your life being like a flower in the field. It's so momentary. It flourishes for a time. You get jobs. You have families. You live to grow old. And then the wind comes and it blows it away as if it was never there in the first place. This wind could be referring to either a hot, blistering wind in the desert that burns and fries the flowers, 
could be referring to a strong blast that comes in and tears the flowers apart. Or perhaps it's just a simple breeze that takes the petals off as they loosen. Either way, the point is that the wind comes over our flourished lives, and before we know it, we're gone. And our place, almost as if the places we existed in were a person, remember us no more. A few weeks ago, I was in uh, Chicago O'Hare Airport, eating dinner at one of the restaurants there, and I was meditating on this psalm. And I was sitting there, the restaurant was situated in this hallway where hundreds of people were walking back and forth in both directions. I remember thinking that all of these people that I see, I don't know at all. I don't know any of these people. And yet, 50 years ago, the people that walked in this exact same hallway are remembered here no more. And within 100 years, all these people I see passing by will be dead, and they too will be remembered by these hallways no more. This is not just true of us. This is true of some of the greatest people in history. You might think of someone very prominent on the world scene right now, Donald Trump. There will come a time when this place and this world remembers him no more too. Even think back in short-term history. Do you remember who the 18th president is? Do you remember who the 31st president is? These were people who have been very prominent back in those days that now their place remembers them no more. Our lives are so short. They're so passing. They're so temporary. But such is not the case with God's greatness. It does not die with us. God's greatness always flourishes. It is always fierce. It is always full. And what a blessing in this life of constant change and constant passing to have something fixed. And what greater thing to have fixed than God's love and righteousness towards you. His greatness is from eternity past and goes all the way into eternity future and covers every single point of your short little life as well as for all successive generations that come after you. It is continuous and it's something that you can anchor your heart in both now and forever because you will always have his greatness. You can always praise him. What more could you possibly want to cling to in this short life? In this ever-changing life, what more could you want to cling to than God in his faithfulness, in his faithful love and goodness? God is so worthy of praise because he is so good to us. Last benefit, this one caps him off for us. Benefit 12, he rules over everything. Verse 19, Yahweh has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. God is king. He is sovereign over everything. Nothing in your life or in anybody's life happens apart from his decree and everything only happens because he causes it to happen. He is in complete control. And what a glorious truth this is for the believer who is someone who is so immeasurably blessed and cherished by God to have him as the one who's in complete control of both this world and your life. Sometimes we talk about, joked about sometimes with, uh, with my family of how great it would be to have someone like Albert Moeller, who's currently the president of Southern Seminary, to have someone like him as president of the United States. What a great change or benefit you could imagine would be for the entire country to have someone like him in a position of leadership. And yet what an infinitely greater benefit to have Yahweh as God. To have Jesus Christ as Lord of the universe. There's no one greater that you could possibly want for the job of Lord of Lords than Jesus. What goodness flows from his reign? 
He loves you, and he loves righteousness, and he does what is best for you and best for all. And the establishment of his kingdom and the establishment of his rule here really does cap off all of these benefits to us, really caps off his praiseworthiness. God is so worthy of praise because he is so good to us. I've given you 12 benefits of God from this psalm. The psalmist covers multiple benefits in here. 12 is also, you know, a convenient number, biblically. 12 disciples, 12 tribes. That wasn't, you know, necessarily intentional, but it does work. All of these are glorious beyond comprehension individually. If you just had one of these, it would be enough to sweep up your life in whole-souled praise. But when all of these are taken together, it's a picture and it's a relationship that's more amazing than any of us can possibly begin to imagine now. The last thing I want you to see here, though, is that these benefits are not for everyone. David says in verses 17 through 18, quote, but the steadfast love of Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Notice who it is to, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. These are the benefits of God to his children. They're the benefits of God to those who are faithful to him, to his elect, to his church. Adam in the garden had a perfect relationship with God, experienced the glorious dealings of God with man, but he sinned. He rebelled against God and that was lost. For what God requires here is perfect obedience. He requires for us to keep his covenant and to remember to do his commandments as it says here. But as Adam lost it, so too do we lose it, for we all have sinned as well, and none of us have kept his covenant or commands on our own. But as we saw in our discussion on Wednesday night, we have kept his covenant, and we have kept his commands through Christ. And that is the work of God that we do. It is trusting alone in Christ, whose perfect obedience is accomplished in our stead. These glorious dealings of God are with his elect, and they're with all those who have repented and trusted in him, both now and forever. And we'll experience this perfect relationship with him, not only in this life, but when he comes again in glory and consummates his kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth. Why would anybody want to miss out on this? If you have not repented, if you have not acknowledged your sin before God, turned from it and trusted alone in him, then hear this message today and do so and receive the infinite benefits of God freely. And if you have repented and trusted in him, then hear this and do not forget his benefits. He forgives you completely of all your sin. He heals all your diseases. He saves your life. He gives you everything you could want. He executes justice for all the oppressed. He is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger with you. He loves you so much. He has compassion on you. He understands you. His greatness is forever, and he rules over everything. Amen. What is the right response to these incredible truths about God? Point number two, you want the response? Here's the response, verses one through two. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Verse 20, bless Yahweh, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. 
Bless Yahweh, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless Yahweh, all his works, and all places of his dominion. Bless Yahweh, oh my soul. That's the right response. That's the response we should have to God's benefits towards us. Now this last point will be brief, because it should be more felt than explained. The right response to all of these benefits should be nothing less than whole-souled praise. Now, what does it mean to bless God? It's not something we really say often today. You cannot really bless God in the sense of doing him a favor or wishing something good for him that he does not already have. You cannot add anything to him. But bless also comes from the word to kneel. It's an exclamation of affection and gratitude and admiration, wishing favor upon somebody. It's a form of worship and praise in the Old Testament, an expression of thankfulness. And notice here, the repetition of this phrase, repeated several times in this poem, shows the earnestness and the intensity of David's blessing God. I want you to imagine if you were, if you remember the story from Luke 17, if you were one of the ten lepers that Jesus healed. Remember, only they all went to the priest, they were all cleansed, but only one came back praising God. Imagine if you had a disease, an incurable disease, that had so many social implications for you and would very likely eventually lead to your death, and Jesus healed you. I pray that we would be the ones that came back, crying out in a loud voice, praising God, falling face down at his feet. I would imagine your response would be on your knees, as it says here, to bless the Lord, crying out, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let nothing but the best be for you, Christ. Bless your holy name. This praise is coming from a person in Psalm 103 who has been forgiven, who's been healed, who's been saved, and who's been given everything, who's been given God himself. And in, 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 sorry, and in desiring the best for God, you desire all of yourself to praise him, and you desire everything else in all of creation to praise him as well. This type of praise is praise that summons everything that you have. It says, quote, all that is within me, everything you are, all of your thoughts, all of your emotions, all of your desires and your words and your actions, Everything inside your body, your tongue, your brain, your heart, your liver, your bones, your blood, everything, praise Him. Everything harnessed to worship God, to bless God. He deserves nothing less. What does this look like in your life? It looks like everything you do being to reflect Him, being to praise Him and to glorify Him. Doing everything for His pleasure as an expression of your praise and your worship. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Bless God in your thoughts. Let them be only that which pleases Him. Bless God in your desires. Let your desires only be that which He would desire. Bless God in your actions. Let them only that which He would do. Bless God in your words. Let your words reflect Him as what he would say himself. And we do all of this because we worship him and we love him. And not only do you just desire for yourself to bless God, but you desire for everything else to praise him as well. Verses 20 through 22 again. 
Praise him, you angels. Praise him, you hosts. Praise him, all his works, everything, and all of his dominion. And remember, his kingdom is over everything. This is everything in existence that David is calling to praise the Lord that you should want to praise him as well. The greatest of angels, God's created works, everything that God does, let it all be to praise him. Let it all be to reflect him. You can't include more. You can't get higher praise than this. And yet nothing but the highest praise is fitting for the most glorious goodness of God towards you. In fact, your praise is never enough compared to the praise that he truly deserves. But try. Give it everything that you have. Now, what if you're hearing this and you don't feel this in your heart? It could be simply that you're not saved, that you haven't experienced these benefits. That's one possibility. But if you are saved and you have these benefits, maybe you've forgotten them. And so hear David say to you, hear God say to you this morning through his word, forget not all his benefits. The remedy is simple. Remember. Remember. Meditate on the benefits. Memorize these verses. Let them sink in. Remind yourselves of these truths throughout the day. Know him more and press these in deep into your soul. In closing, God is so worthy of praise because he is so good to us. He made known his glorious dealings to Israel in Exodus and throughout the Old Testament. And he relates to his people today, you, his church, with these same benefits. Know him and remember all his benefits towards you. And as a result, let everything in your life be swept away in a life of praising God. Bless him with all your might. Desire God's praise in all of your life and in all of the world and for all of eternity. Let's pray. Lord, there's nothing that we can say except to seek your forgiveness for hearts that have failed to bless you as you are worthy of. We ask, Father, that you would be pleased to take all of these incredible benefits that you have bestowed upon us, cause us to realize them, to know them, and to remember them, and let it have the impact that it should on our hearts and on everything within us, calling us to praise and to worship in every single facet of our lives. Lord, produce in us nothing but the deepest desire for your glory and for your praise. Let it manifest itself in everything that we do, and let us desire, Lord, wholeheartedly for your praise and your glory throughout all the earth. You are worthy of infinitely more, but certainly nothing less. So we ask by the power of your Spirit, you would enable us to do this for your own name's sake and out of your love for us. Amen.